Hi and welcome to the Girl Next Door podcast. I'm your host Renee Bennett and this is a leadership podcast for ordinary girls compelled to lead an extraordinary life. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. Welcome everyone, it's Renee here. So great to be with you on Can You Believe It? Episode 70, 7-0. Thank you for sticking with me all this time. It's been a wild, amazing, fun ride. So Leadership Wednesday, what are we going to talk about today? It was pretty fun last week having a chat about girl bosses and leadership and if bossy equals leadership. Go back and listen to that if you haven't already. But today I wanted to give you six ways that a girl can lead a difficult guy. Mm, This is interesting. I want to help us increase our confidence in how to be a girl leader when at times we do have to lead guys that perhaps we don't feel like they've totally got our back. Perhaps we don't feel like they're totally behind us or you could have a flat out issue. It's a thing. It's a thing. You might be a guy listening going, no, but all the girls are like, mm-hmm. All of us girls know this to be true. Sometimes, sometimes we feel like we have to work that little bit harder, uh, perhaps to get a guy's respect. And uh, not all the time, but every now and then. And I think sometimes too, a guy can be a little bit quicker to challenge our leadership. I don't know. Tell me what you think. Maybe the guys will disagree. Uh, probably depends on the girl leader, perhaps. So what I want to do is give you some examples today from my own life as well. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be interesting. Um, but I want to give you six practicals that you can walk away with. So um, I get along with, I would say, 98%. Actually, no, let me change that to 99%. I would get along with 99% of the guys in my world. In fact, I actually love working with guys. Sometimes I even find it easier working with guys than girls. Um, But maybe that's because I find my approach to leadership is really well accepted amongst all of the guys that I work with. So then there's that 2% or, well, in my case, maybe the 1% of guys who I find react to my leadership. Um, But it seems like it's that 1%. And I know that you would probably agree with me on this, that ends up taking our focus, our emotional energy, our time, our thoughts. You know, my days and my weeks and my months can be filled with easy, rewarding interactions with all these different guys. And then there's just the one, just the one. And that one is what ends up making me think the most and it's what challenges me the most. But as the saying goes, it only takes one bad apple to spoil the barrel. Now I'm going to explain what I mean by that. And in fact, I want to explore that for a little moment because I want to use that analogy to pull out my first two points. Now, did you know that one bad apple really can spoil a whole bunch of apples around it? Like it's not just a saying, it's actually a thing. Now I'll tell you what's responsible. It's something called ethylene gas. That is literally what is responsible. So when an apple ripens and the riper that it gets, the more ethylene that it produces, which is a gas that naturally is emitted, right? To ripen the fruit. 
but overripe fruit gives off more ethylene leading to a like a concentration of the gas which then overripens all the other fruit i kind of think it's funny that we're talking about gas and guys, the two seem to go together. But what happens is when you've got this one overripe apple producing this excess gas, it actually can push all the apples, other apples around it to ripen really quickly and also to rot. Okay. So that saying of it only takes one bad apple to rot the barrel is actually true. It's correct. So it's this, you know, 1% of guys that sometimes can make our leadership more difficult or, um, or perhaps they react to us and it can have a bigger effect on us like the one apple in the whole barrel. So this one little apple, this one little issue that we might have with one guy in one interaction compared to all the other interactions that we have, but it's that one experience that often can make us double guess ourselves. It can make us doubt ourselves. It can make us doubt our leadership abilities. It can even eat away at our confidence and even cause us perhaps to shrink back a little bit. And I'm talking from experience here that even though I can have 99% of good interactions, sometimes it's that 1% that just makes me shrink back that little bit. So I want to speak candidly about this to you girls today and to give us some tools on how we can handle when a guy under our leadership is causing us an issue. All right, so let's use that apple analogy for my first two points. The first thing I want to let you know is this. We need to remember it's only one apple. You have to remind yourself of all the guys that you lead who you do get along with and who love being under your leadership. Think about all of the guys who willingly work with you and enjoy being on team with you. Because keeping that perspective is really helpful. It helps us to stay focused and not to allow a mountain to be made out of a molehill. So it really keeps the problem in the right perspective, which is small and concentrated. We're talking about the 1% remember the one apple in the barrel. So that's the first thing I want all of us girls to remember. Okay, keep perspective because it's only one apple. So don't let that one thing take away your confidence or even consume, don't let that 1% of a difficult interaction consume your 99% of your thinking. Okay, secondly, we need to deal with the apple quickly. So the longer we allow that one apple to fester, the more impact that it will have on you and your leadership. So you think if you leave that one rotting apple in the barrel, uh, and by the way, I'm not saying that the guys are rotten, okay? Don't take me out of context here. But if there's a situation um, and we leave that alone, just like one rotting apple, it can affect everything very, very quickly. So we need to deal with these situations that arise quickly I am guilty of this. I have learned this the hard way. I had a guy under my leadership who was not fulfilling his role like he should have been. And I could see it right at the start. I knew that there was an issue right at the start. And I don't like confrontation. Is anyone else with me out there? I 
really hate confrontation. Cameron is really good at confrontation. I don't like it. I kind of avoid it at all costs. Um, although I'm getting better because I know that it's not good to leave these situations to fester, but I tried everything except for having the honest conversation. So I tried all of these non-confrontational approaches, but I could see that the guy still wasn't getting it. Like you name it. But the one thing I should have done, I should have confronted him kindly, but honestly. But what happened was almost a year went by. And in the end, not only was I completely frustrated, but he was frustrated as well. But why didn't I just confront to begin with? Well, these are some of the reasons that we don't confront as girls. I didn't want to be seen as bossy. Hello, I just did an entire podcast on that last week, but that's one of my reasons that I didn't confront. I didn't want to be seen as the bossy girl. Uh, I also didn't want to be seen as ungrateful uh, because he was doing so many things that were good and giving up so much of his time. So I didn't want to be ungrateful. Um, Another reason I didn't confront, to be honest, was I didn't want him to not like me. I don't like it when people don't like me. It's the part of leadership that I would hate the most because I really want people to like me. And I think I did a podcast on this last year where I talked about how in leadership, we can't keep it as our aim for people to like us because that's a poor way to lead. Because the truth of the matter is not everyone is going to like us when we lead. Um, Also, this guy was a really good person. That was another reason I didn't want to confront him. I struggled to separate the person from the situation. I struggled to uh, to separate him as a person from his actions, but also his lack of response to the ways I was trying to come around and address the situation caused me to double guess myself and they actually rocked my confidence. And the longer I allowed the situation I allowed the situation to sit, the more that it rocked my confidence. And because I let it sit there, it did fester and I also knew that not only was his leadership now affecting me, but his leadership was also affecting everyone else involved. So this one situation now was not only affecting me and my leadership and my confidence, but it was affecting the whole team as well. Looking back, I know that I should have dealt with that whole situation much sooner. And this, for me, to be honest, girls, is my greatest area of growth as a female leader. And I've really, I'm learning this one hardcore, not to let things sit, but to, even though I hate doing it, and even though I listed all of the reasons I avoid it, we need to confront situations quickly so that it doesn't fester and be allowed to sit there and affect everything else. So I don't want you, though, when you do confront it's really important to do this because otherwise it will literally strip your emotional energy if you just let it sit there. Deal with it quickly so it doesn't take away more from your leadership than it really ought. Okay, they're my two Apple analogies. Did you like that? But there are some other things that I think that we can learn that us girls need to consider that can help us in dealing with the issues that might arise with the guys that we lead. So I want to go on to three, four, five, and six. So number three is that we need to consider 
that perhaps the issues between us as a female leader and a guy that we are leading might actually not be a female male thing at all. In other words, gender might not be the reason for this issue. We can be quick at times to blame gender bias for why a guy perhaps is not reacting well to our leadership, but it might not be that at all. And we need to be open to thinking about other root reasons for the issue. It could be a personality clash between ourselves and that person. Or it might be nothing to do with personality. It might be nothing to do with you as a leader, and it might have everything to do with him and with his issues and with his leadership style. Or it could just be a combination of all of those things. But I think that it's really important that we don't assume because really the root issue of the issue of the situation really determines how we deal with it. So don't assume that it's a gender situation uh, and try and work out what the root cause is because that will help you to, again, keep perspective and to know how to deal with the situation. You know, is it that you've got a personality issue? If so, then you need to work on that. Is it that you've got different values? In that case, you need to work on that. Or it could be that he's got some leadership uh, weaknesses and then you need to work on that. So you need to work out what the root reason is for it. Okay, number four, this is really important and it's going to go against our grain as girls. We have to stop saying sorry. What? That one sounds like, you know, the opposite of what we should be doing. But do you find yourself saying sorry a lot when you know that there's tension between you and someone else or when you go to confront the situation you find the word sorry coming out of your mouth a lot because I know that I do. But do you know what? I'm actually not sorry, even though I'm saying sorry. Let me expose us a little bit here. Let's dig a little bit deeper. What are we doing when we keep saying sorry to someone where we know that there's an issue? Because in reality, I'm sorry that it's affecting our relationship. I'm sorry that maybe you won't like me as much now, but really, in essence, I'm not sorry to keep on upholding the high leadership standards that I have. When I can see that there's an issue, I'm not sorry that you can't see it. I'm actually frustrated. But what I'm doing by saying sorry is I'm buying self-protection, Think about that for a moment. When we say sorry, what we're actually doing or what I'm doing when I say sorry, when I'm trying to confront a situation is I'm trying to buy myself self-protection. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm trying to avoid the real conversation that needs to be had. What we have to do is care more about being respected than being liked. Because what I'm doing by saying sorry is I'm saying, please like me, even though I have to tell you something that you might not like. That's why I mean saying sorry is really self-protection. Please don't be upset with me, even though I'm going to have to tell you something that you're not going to like. But in order for these confrontations to happen, in order to deal with these situations with these guys in our under our leadership or on our teams that we're having issues with, we have to stop apologizing our way through the conversations. 
You know, sometimes for me, I have to actually, actually consciously stop myself from saying sorry because saying sorry is not helping the situation because really at the end of the day, I'm not sorry. I just don't want you to be upset with me. So that's not a good reason to say sorry. Okay, number five, we're getting through these so quick today. Number five, it's really important that we don't compromise our standards. You know, when someone doesn't like our leadership or someone doesn't like a decision that we've made or someone is taking issue, particularly a guy with our leadership, it's really easy to kind of compromise. But something that I've learned is it's really important that we continue to uphold high standards. You know, any of the guys that I've had issues with, the 1%, they all have something in common. Every time that there's been a guy that has an issue with my leadership, they are not delivering on something that they should be delivering on. I do have high standards and I don't think that we should ever apologize for that. In fact, I know that we shouldn't apologize for that. And I want the people around me on my teams, guys and girls, to also uphold high standards. I'm not ever asking something of a guy in my leadership, under my leadership, of something that I'm not delivering myself. So I'm learning not to compromise on that, even though I'm really um, tentative to have that confronting conversation. So let me give you an example from my own life. A while ago, I had this guy working for me who I realized really quickly on in the piece that I was going to have issues with, not because of personality, not because we didn't get along together, but because his standards weren't the same as what mine were. So everyone loved this guy, including myself. He was so charismatic. He was energetic. He literally could light up a room, but he also had really questionable work ethic and he wasn't producing the kind of work or fulfilling his role that I had him employed for. Now at the start, when I very, I picked this up really quickly at the beginning and I remember saying something to Cameron and Cameron said to me, well, you've got to learn to work with him. And I was so mad. I think we actually, like, let's be honest here. We had a fight about it. I'm like, this is not going to end well. Um, And he goes, well, this is a good test of your leadership, which made me even madder. (laughs) But what I then did is, and I learned so much from this situation, but I kept on changing this guy's role to try and suit his skills. But it turned out that he was having a wowzer of a good time and my workload doubled because not only was I carrying my own workload, I now had to start carrying his as well. Now, this went on for almost a year and I ended up writing a list in my phone of all of the growing issues that I had because that's actually, I probably should have written that down. This is one of my other strategies. I write lists down of actual situations that happen because sometimes when I do confront someone, I'm really not very quick on my feet. And so Cameron's really good off the cuff, really good off off of his, um, I call it on your feet, Um, but I'm not so good. So I actually have to write lists and examples of things that happen over time so that I can go back and say, look, here's some examples of what I'm talking about. So I had all of these examples written down. Now, this guy also, by the way, on top of it, it turns out he did have some issues working for a female, which kind of came out in his response to me 
uh, a few months later when I put my foot down and I stopped compromising and I actually confronted him. He, um, he did not respond well at all. I confronted him. I reiterated what his job was. And I basically said, look, if you can't do this, which clearly you've shown me because, because of A, B and C that you can't, then I'm going to have to let you go. His response was the worst I've ever had. He was aggressive. He called me demeaning names. He even put a post up on Instagram about me. I have never, ever, ever had someone do that before. And let me say, he would never, ever, ever have done that to Cameron, ever. But I held the line. And I learned a lot from listening to Craig Rochelle at the time. Um, And he said a really, really good thing. He goes, you have to hire and fire according to your values. Now, you might be a girl boss where you're not actually hiring people per se, but you might have people on your team, even though they might be volunteers, we need to have people on our team who have the same values as us. And we need to not compromise on those values. We need to hold to them. And even though we might really, really like someone and we might get along with them really well, they are going to infect and affect the whole team and the whole organization if you allow them to continue with lower standards, with no work ethic and with values that are not the same as your values or the same as that of your organization. So we have to hold everyone to those values. And I know that that can be hard when you're confronting um, a male that can feel really um, confronting to you as a female. You know, the funny thing is that this guy years later, it actually got back to me that apparently he thinks I'm one of the best uh, female pastors in Australia. And I literally nearly choked on my apple I was eating at the time. Oh, no pun intended for the apple analogies before. I was like, are you kidding me? He gave me such a hard time, but it turns out he's actually got great respect for me. So I thought that was quite ironic. All right. The last thing, the last tip that I want to give us today is it's really important for us to stay positive. You know, I think there's nothing worse than a girl leader, a girl boss who plays the victim. Um, You know, I've said this to all of us before. Sometimes it's not easy navigating being a female in a more male-driven world. But I find one thing that has helped me so much, and I did talk about this last week as well, is staying positive. People love to follow someone who's always on the up, who's positive, not someone who blames, not someone who um, takes the victim role, but someone who takes responsibility. Don't take the victim mentality. It's really unattractive to act like the victim and it won't actually help your leadership. It will hurt it. You know, are there biases at time? At times? Yes, there are. Can it be difficult navigating being a female leader? Absolutely. But my biggest bit of advice, girls, is acknowledge it and then move on and be the girl boss who is so positive and so confident that she shows the way for every other girl and every other guy will absolutely love following you as well. Be the example, be the girl boss that everyone wants to work with. 
So they are my six tips for you today. So let me recap those. And oh my gosh, I think we're going to even have time for a bit of a Q&A. I've had a few questions come through to me on social media. So I'm, I've even got about 10 minutes up my sleeve to answer those. All right. So let me recap those six on how we can be a female leader and successfully lead males who might have difficulty with our leadership. One, remember the apple analogy. Remember, it's only one apple. Keep perspective. Number two, deal with the issue quickly. Number three, be open to the fact that it might not even be a gender issue at all because that changes the way you deal with it. Number four, stop making your way through a conversation with sorry, 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 sorry. Number five, don't compromise on your standards or your values. And number six, stay positive. So I hope that they have helped you. And I have got some time to answer some questions. So let me have a quick look and see what it was that you guys have been asking me. Okay, so many questions. I don't think I'm going to get through them all. And other than the first question, I'm going to try and answer them as quickly as I can. This will be a miracle, except the first one. All right, first one is, great question. What are my tips for becoming a youth pastor? All right, let me tell you what we would look for. Firstly, the person who just keeps on showing up with great enthusiasm, always the one to say yes to things, always the one to put your hand up. Be the best youth leader in the room, which means, what does that mean? You you show signs of great, uh, great leadership. You have a lot of young people that follow you. We always say, turn around and see who's following you. It's a good measure of your leadership. Uh, young leaders look up to you. You naturally disciple and train other leaders. Uh, never turn up with an empty car on a Friday night. Your squad or your small group is growing and thriving and pulsating with life. You bring leadership to every space you walk in. You have hardcore work ethic. You look after your own things because, hello, if you look after your own things, then you look after God's things. You're generous. You turn up on time. You have incredible organizational skills. You're a total boss at pastoral care of young people and parents love and respect you. All the rest you can learn. How's that? (laughs) That's a pretty good list. You might want to read one and press play and write those down. Okay. Next question. What am I most proud about in ministry? Okay. This one's easy. Hands down. It's the fact that I've been able to be in ministry most of my life and still have three kids of my own who now serve God as hardcore as I did at their age. That is what I'm most proud about. All right, next one. What does success as a leader look like to me? I mean, gosh, success as a leader can be a gazillion, million, trillion thousand things. But if I were to put it down to one thing, I think for me it would be that I'm doing everything that God has asked me to do, not anyone else, but as long as I'm fulfilling what God has put me on the planet for, then that is success to me, no matter how unimportant or small or whatever that might look to other people. Next one, how do I deal with disappointment? Okay, to be honest, again, if I'm to answer this quickly, I just adjust I just adjust my expectations. So disappointment happens because I'm expecting something and maybe my expectations were wrong. So I change my expectations. 
All right, next one, change of tune. In a relationship, is it weird for the girl to be older than the guy? Heck no, because most of my closest friends are older than their husbands, including me, by 13 months only. Uh, How or when to help your leaders be accountable without overstepping? All right, short answer. When do we help them be accountable? All the time. Um, Overstepping, no such thing. Accountability is a must. We all need it. And how? Well, everyone has their own system, but for us, the way we make our leaders accountable is we literally live off of Google Sheets. There is no other system out there. I know there's Elvanto and there's Fluro and there's all this other stuff. I'm telling you time and time and time again, we go back to Google Sheets where everything is written down. That's how we keep each other accountable. And finally, last question, I think, what does it take to run a service for youth slash church planning wise? Literally, I could do 10,000 podcasts on this. You want me to answer it quickly? I'll say this. You need a fabulous team who all take responsibility for the whole event, even if there's something that's not a part of their, you know, department per se. You need delegation, loads of organization and a system and structure that's already set up, which you use every single week. So if I were to put it down for hours, I mean, look, I'm very involved in the planning of our um, church services, so I would spend quite a few hours on it. But if I'm preaching, obviously even more, but there you go. All righty, guys. Um, There were more questions that came in, so perhaps I'll try and finish a bit earlier next week also and answer those, but great questions. Anyway, thank you so much for being with me today. It was so nice to have you. Make sure that you tune back on Friday for parenthood. And like I say, even if you are not a parent yet, um, make sure you come and listen because I did some of my best learning as a parent before I was even married. So there you go. Anyway, I would love if you could subscribe um, and share this podcast. That is super helpful to me. And I hope you have a wonderful week and I will see you on Friday. Bye. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast.